Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Uh, I just told you guys all about this guy. Longtime NFL personal man, personnel man and general manager in the NFL. Uh, and another man like myself who was raised up in a branch of the Parcells coaching tree. He on the Belichick side, me on the Tom Coughlin side. Michael Lombardi. Michael, how the hell are you doing? I'm doing good, Seth. Thank you. Yeah, you know, we all kind of stick together. We all see football the same way when we, when you grow up in that family tree. It's kind of hard to change. It makes life difficult. It's interesting. I was listening to your podcast on The Ringer the other day, and you were talking about how Hugh Jackson maybe just has never been in a system where he's seen coaching and head coaches operate a certain way. And I, and I never really thought of it from that perspective, but there really is something about that culture it's just different, and I've like I've I've played for Coughlin, and you've been in, in Belichick's system, and you just see how things go. I, I think, and this ties in with the book that you're releasing in what just 26 days, Gridiron Genius, right. where you talk about the culture, building a good culture in the NFL. For me, it was just almost this this maniacal standard that they set as a head coach, and their like maniacal way of holding people to those standards. Yeah, you know, and I think what we miss so often, we use the word culture so easily. And, you know, being part of a football team as you were and I were, you know, this word culture, it's kind of like it's just it's a vague term. But the leader must establish the culture. It can't come from the owner. It can't come from the assistant coaches. It's got to come from, it can't come from uh, Jarvis Landry. It's got to come from the head coach. And I think what happens to most of these guys that become head coaches, they, they, they have never been around what, what a true head coach is. And I think that's for huge. Jackson, I mean, a true head coach, a guy like Parcells and Coughlin that tell the staff what he wants to do and how he wants to run things. And, you know, what happens is I, I, I read a book years, years ago, Henry Kissinger's memoirs, and he said in the beginning of the, of the book, he said, when you go to Washington, you borrow on the intellectual power you bring and you can't renew it once you're there. And the NFL is a little bit like Washington. You you get these jobs, and unless you are renewing your intellectual capacity, you end up stagnant. And that's why leadership ends up becoming teams have some success, and then they don't. And the great leaders are constantly searching for ways to improve their message, improve their 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 ability to to communicate through different avenues. And you know what you're seeing in Cleveland. I think you and I laugh and say. If he spent five minutes with Parcells, Coughlin, or Belichick, that wouldn't survive. And that constant effort, I think, is key because I see it all the time, and I was on teams where I saw this happen. You can't make a quick stab at leadership or bringing in one guy into a position group and thinking like, hey, this this guy's going to be a veteran leader and this is going to change things. And that's why... I, I just I look at them bringing Des Bryant potentially into the Browns. <laughs> Not that they're bringing him in as a leader, but I just what's your plan for Des Bryant when he gets there? I think we've seen very clearly from the show. There's not a plan for anybody. They don't have a plan for Callaway. They don't have a plan for Baker Mayfield, really. I mean, you know, when you got to tell Baker Mayfield to get in the building office on the practice field of training camp, you really don't have a plan for him. And and that's another thing that you know every player must have an individual plan. You bring you put you bring in 
uh, Des Bryant. We know he's historically late for everything, okay? He can't get on time for anything. So therefore, he has no understanding of a culture. And then he doesn't really understand the playbook. He's always been a one position. You've got to play certain spots. So now he doesn't even, you know, so like, what are you doing? You're adding players into the culture that are anti the culture, and then you're wondering about how you're going to change the habits. I don't see how that works. Well, that's so funny that Todd Haley invoked Larry Fitzgerald, but the difference between Larry Fitzgerald and Des Bryant is just so vast and stark and different. <laughs> it's so, and, you know, it's easy to say, you know, throw those names around. Oh, Larry Fitzgerald, of course. But, you know, Des, Des is – the reason Des is unemployed isn't because of, you know, Des is, you know – other things. I mean, people watch tape, and, and the risk-reward for Dez is far greater than the, the reward. The risk is far greater. He's a one-positional guy. He's a jump-ball wide receiver. You know, and those guys in, against cover two man, it's hard to get open, mm-hmm. and you've got to scheme things. And if you can't really scheme them, if you, if you can't motion them, and you can't move them from left to right or put them in the slot, now it becomes harder to get them open. I, I, I think, Seth, and I wrote about this in my book, we give receivers sometimes way too much credit for the catch. You know, when, when Brandon Marshall had 23 catches and set an NFL record against the Colts, if you really study the tape, he probably got four of those catches on his own. The scheme got him the other 19. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if you don't have a player that, that can learn the scheme and get him open, it becomes even more difficult. Now, I'm not minimizing great receivers. Don't get me wrong. I mean, great receivers, you need athletic skill and all that, you, you know, but – at some point, the scheme gets you open, and then your talent has to take over. So Sam Darnold starts last night for the Jets, and uh, Teddy Bridgewater has looked very good when he's had his two opportunities. What do you think happens with him? And I guess if you're Mike McCagnin, if you're the GM there in New York, what are you listening to? You know, if I'm Mike, look, I think this. First of all, I'll take it the other way. If I'm the New York Giants or if I'm the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or if I'm the Miami Dolphins, I'm talking to Mike I'm trying to see if I could find a way to get this guy at a, at a reduced price because I think what Teddy Bridgewater has shown in the first two preseason games is the 2015 Teddy Bridgewater. There's no fear. His eye level. One thing about quarterbacks you must always look at is their eye level. They're like boxers. And when boxers used to react to punches uh, that were, weren't thrown, you knew the boxer was career was over. And when quarterbacks start reacting to people in the pocket that aren't there, you know their eye level's way down. When a quarterback's percentage of completion, he comes off the field, I can I can remember a time when Bernie Kosar was quarterbacking for the Browns. He came off the field, and Belichick said, I'm going to go with Vinny Testaverde in the next series. And Kosar's like, what are you talking about? I'm 10 for 12. You know, and Belichick's, yeah, for 24 yards. I mean, we haven't thrown the ball down the field. You get the ball out of your hands so quick, you're looking at the rush. Teddy's eye level, to me, has is back up again. He's seeing down the field. He's not worried about the rush, which is the number one thing you've got to be concerned about a guy coming off a major, major knee injury. Teddy's a starter. Yeah. And I think those teams could utilize that guy and if I'm Mike McKagan I'm sitting there saying okay make me the best deal but but you look at Teddy's career like I I keep tweeting about to me Tampa Bay Tampa Bay is in this thing I call the endowment effect which is happens when you fall in love with because you drafted players or because you own a stock it's usually used in business but it happens in the NFL constantly it's called we call it the sponsorship but it's really the technical term is an endowment effect and so you know what happens is is Tampa's has this love affair going with Jameis even though he's let him down and you know when you break down Teddy and you break down Jameis Teddy is 
is, is, you know, Teddy's had four comeback games in the fourth quarter. You know, Jam- people talk about Jameis' ability to lead comeback wins. He's got five in three years. Teddy has four in two years. You know, and, and game-winning drives, he's got four. You know, so I think there's just so much difference here in terms of the leadership and the character of Teddy compared to what Jameis is, and you're losing him for three games. If you're Tampa Bay and you're losing Winston for three games and you know your season's on the line, you have a chance now to get – bring Bridgewater in, and now you have a chance to tell to straighten out Winston because, as you and I know, being in the Coughlin-Parcells program, the only way players respond is through fear. Churchill said this about the Germans when they entered the Channel Ports. Fear does the work of reason. That's when he became the prime minister because everybody in England was fearful the Germans were going to co- were conquer the country. So he became the prime minister. Fear does the work of reason. It's the same thing in football. Oh, it does. Uh, Ted Johnson and I will talk about this all the time. The, 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 the feeling you used to get when you used to walk into the – facility in Jacksonville or in New England when those guys were in charge it's just it's a pressure that you can't really describe and it's that you know you're always you're always being scrutinized like every little thing and I it's just not like that everywhere I I wonder about this Sam Darnold I'm going to read a quote to you from Sam Darnold he talked to NJ.com about how in some ways it's easier in his opinion to read defenses in, in in the NFL quote the hashes are so much closer than college, so I feel like I can see the field a little bit clearer in a weird way. It's really nice to be able to get that width and be able to see exactly what the coverage is. You can tell right away most of the time whether it's man or zone, which is really cool, unquote. I'm nervous for Sam Darnold in week one. Yeah, yeah, because what he's seeing right now is you know middle of the field open and closed, and when he starts seeing those trap coverages, it's going to be a little bit challenging. But I do think, you know, the one thing about college football, because of the hash marks, mm-hmm. and I used to tell my sons this all the time, now both of them are coaches, that I hated college because of the hash marks. Because, you know, people don't understand that when, when the hash marks are that wide, you have to ro- rotate the coverage to the field, and your best corner in college has to be the, bound- has to be the field, co- has to be the boundary corner, because that's the easiest throw. That's a you can run a nine route on that, that boundary corner uh, and it's a, it's a really short throw. Now to throw a nine route open to the wide side of the field that's a little more challenging. So you know I, I do see that you know he can plan it, but I think what it's going to happen is, is he's going to start seeing a lot more zone blitzes. He's going to see a lot more combination coverages, and the game's going to go fast. But I will say this about Sam. I think he understands protections, and I think his mind can play fast. Mm-hmm. That's a key thing for quarterbacks, young quarterbacks especially. Can their mind play fast? Can their mind play as fast as what they're seeing, and can, there, can it translate? And your feet, this is a big Bill Walsh thing, your feet have to be in rhythm with your arm. Nobody really talks about this often, is your feet have to be in rhythm with your arm so that you can throw the ball accurately and on time. Oh, I'll tell you the other big difference with college, when we talk about changing the scheme, the thing that drives me crazy as a defensive player is watching how much they get away with offensive linemen downfield. And the, yeah. those those RPOs are a lot more viable when you've got offensive linemen five yards downfield when the ball is thrown. It's so hard. I mean, I'm watching the thing, and I'm like, aren't they going to call that guy for being downfield? And I remember it's college football. It's yeah. A, yeah. You know, and, and to me, it's an easy way for coaches to run plays. I mean, it's almost like it's a lazy man's path. We'll just run a bubble screen, you know, and then we just got, we'll have 85 guys running downfield at one time. It kind of bores me at times. Another thing that you talked about on your podcast on The Ringer um, that I really enjoyed listening to was Hugh Jackson when he talked about the zebra stats, the advanced stats they're using, and how they haven't had any soft tissue injuries in the last two years and you're like okay well great but where does that produce some victories I've been talking to some coaches uh, around the league about how they're utilizing these stats 
And I, I'm just curious, like, what do you think Bill Belichick, who loves using data and everything, and I think sometimes try to pass it off like he's not using as many advanced stats as he is, is he, do you think he's allowing that to affect his practices at all? Well, I do. I think this, look, Bill's an information, you know, one thing about being in pro football and being in personnel and executive, you're in the information business. So anybody who says they don't appreciate analytics is wrong. I, I appreciate it. I, I, where I have a problem with most of these analytical people, Seth, is they're on doctoral studies. You know, they're, they're constantly, they're not going to give you an answer. They're just collecting data, you know, and you, your contract's going to expire before their data is ever done being collected. So, like, give me something that I could hang my hat on. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. At least we know it's wrong. But if if it's right, maybe we hit something. And where Belichick is, is is it applicable? There was a phase about three years ago where everybody was into drones. Remember, everybody wanted to own a drone. Oh, yeah. And we were going to drone tape practices in drones. And Belichick heard the conversation. We did some research on it. And it just wasn't practical. It didn't give us any benefit. It sounded really good. It sounded like we were trying to get ahead of the curve. But there was no practicality to it. However, that being said, when you can get practicality out of numbers, like, for example, you know, when you know that most games are decided in the last four minutes of the first half and at the end of the game, that's something you need to practice. When you know third downs in the red zone are critical plays, let's practice those. And then you implement those things in there. If you know a certain player, Jared Goff is not very good at throwing the ball to his right. So therefore, when you're playing against him, you want to set your coverages to force him to throw the ball to where he can't do it. To me, that's applying the information to your game. Excellent stuff, Michael. We're going to have Michael on every Thursday week. We had a little bit of a technical glitch this week. The book Gridiron Genius comes out next month. Uh, I highly encourage everybody to pre-order that right now. It's going to be a great read. Michael, uh, the one idea I have that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to think about this for a while. If you have any old Seth Payne scouting reports, I may have <laughs> you read them, but I, I'm not sure my ego can handle that. So we'll, uh, I'm we'll... sure I do. I have to go back. I have an office back in Ocean City, New Jersey. I'm sure they're there. I'll find one. Don't worry, Seth. Oh, but great, great. <laughs> Thanks a a lot, man. I appreciate it. All right. It. Thanks, Seth. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.